You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. I don't know uh, if any of you have ever experienced this in a church before, uh, but when I was growing up uh, and uh, you know went to to, to different uh, churches, there there were some churches that. Um, you just never quite knew what to expect on uh, a Sunday morning. Uh, the, the preaching uh, at certain churches when I was growing up, it almost just felt kind of like a, a, a grab bag. Um, you, you never really knew what the, the pastor uh, was going to preach on. It kind of just felt like maybe he uh, got up there, he closed his eyes, he opened his Bible and whatever the text that he pointed at, like, that was what was going to be the, the sermon for the morning. Um, I, I can even remember uh, distinct conversations that I, that I would have. Like I, I'd see a, a particular pastor, and maybe at the grocery store in the, the middle of the week, uh, and, and I'd ask him, uh, what, what, hey, what are you going to preach on on Sunday? Uh, and inevitably, I'd, I'd get that response where he would say, well... Uh, the, the Lord just hasn't laid anything on my heart yet. Uh, I don't know if, if you've ever heard that from, from anyone or not, but uh, I, I can remember hearing that. And then, of course, Sunday morning would roll around uh, and I'd listen to the sermon that they had on Sunday morning. Uh, and I could remember thinking, well, I wish the Lord had laid that sermon on their heart earlier in the week. Uh, so maybe they would have had uh, more time to prepare. Um, we are, are starting a, a new sermon series this morning, uh, and, and I promise you uh, that you are going to know every step of the way um, where we are going. Uh, we are, are going to be working through uh, the book of Mark. Uh, in, in our last series, uh, we, we had been looking at a variety of different passages throughout the Bible, uh, trying to, to understand the, that overarching message of the Bible. Uh, you know, the reality that even though the Bible is 66 books, uh, it, it's just one story. Uh, it's one story that, that takes all 66 books of the Bible to tell. Uh, every scripture, I, I hope we, we have seen, uh, is really just pointing in one of two directions. Uh, it's either looking forward to the arrival of Christ, or, or it's gazing backwards, reflecting on what his life means for you and I. So, so now uh, that, that we have seen that all of Scripture is like this giant neon signpost pointing to Jesus, we're, we're going to switch up gears. Uh, we're going to work through the book of Mark to take a deep dive into Jesus's life and ministry, um, seeing why he, he was and still is the central core to the Christian faith. So we're, we're going to work chapter by chapter, from beginning to end. Uh, and, and I prefer this, this approach to preaching uh, because, one, it means that no passages are going to be overlooked. Uh, you're going to hear what every verse in the book of Mark has to say uh, about Jesus, not, 
not just whatever verses I happen to want to preach on. Uh, And then I also prefer this because it it means that throughout the week, um, if you would like, you can study ahead. Uh, You can read the text because you know exactly where we will be the next week. And so you can come in on Sunday morning um, already having read the text and being better prepared uh, to see what what God has to say to us from uh, this text. Uh, So that's going to be my approach to this sermon series. Uh, And in just a second, I want to dive into the first text in this series, uh, but I do want to give you some quick background information um, on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if it's been a, a while since you've studied this book, or uh, maybe you're not overly familiar with this particular Gospel. Um, so uh, the Gospel of Mark um, is technically uh, anonymous. Uh, if you go back and you, you read the, the Greek manuscripts, Mark's name uh, doesn't actually appear on any of the Greek manuscripts. Uh, but since the, the very, very early church, uh, Christians have, have always attributed Mark as the author of this gospel. Uh, he's also known as John Mark or Mark the Evangelist. Uh, he was the young man who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their early uh, missionary journeys. Um, I remember when I was in college and I first started studying the Gospels uh, more seriously, uh, one of the the first questions that I had um, wasn't whether uh, Mark wrote this book, but was whether he was even qualified to write this book. I mean, what made Mark qualified to write down this account of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, He wasn't one of his 12 disciples. Uh, He didn't appear to have any uh, significant interaction with Jesus during the course of his life. Uh, So so why why is he qualified? Uh, Well, just as the early church attributed Mark as the, the writer of this gospel, Uh, The early church also attributed Peter as the primary source behind Mark's gospel. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, a word uh, that's totally a seminary word. Um, If you want to impress other people and make them think that you're smart, uh, feel free to to use this on occasion. Um, But Mark was what was known in the ancient world as an amanuensis. Uh, in uh, the, this time period, uh, an amanuensis is someone who wrote on behalf of someone else. Uh, the modern equivalent is kind of like a stenographer uh, in a courtroom uh, who writes down a transcript of everything that was said. Uh, it, it, this was especially important, uh, you know, long before the days of computers and typewriters. Uh, having an amanuensis was uh, very important and a common practice. Uh, you would dictate a letter or a book, uh, and they'd carefully write down everything on uh, your behalf. So, so we call this gospel that we are about to study, we, we call it the Gospel of Mark. 
Uh, and, and rightfully so, because Mark is the author. Uh, he is the one that wrote down all of these words. But, but really, what, what you have here uh, is the gospel according to Peter. Uh, while living in Rome, Peter dictated his interactions uh, about the, the life and ministry of Jesus to John Mark, who would write down this gospel that you and I are studying today. Uh, and, and understanding that the book of Mark, uh, understanding it to, to come from Peter, to have relied on Peter as its source, uh, it helps you really better understand the nature of this gospel. I mean, if, if you read it, uh, it sounds and feels like Peter. I mean, it's fast, it's bold, it's blunt. Uh, it gets right to the point just like Peter. Uh, a good friend of mine um, once described uh, Mark as the comic book gospel. Now, I have to be honest with you, I have never read a comic book in my entire life. Uh, and from most of my interactions with you all, um, I don't get the impression uh, that there are a lot of comic book enthusiasts here. Um, but when you think about a, a comic book, uh, it, it's a story that, that tells you um, its narrative through actions rather than primarily through words. Uh, yes, there are those little word bubbles that give you bits and pieces of conversation, uh, but by and large, a, a comic book tells you a story visually through seeing the hero at work. Uh, there's, there's a theologian uh, named R.C. Uh, Ryle who uh, he, he wrote about the, the Gospel of Mark, and he said something very uh, similar. Uh, he said that while Matthew and Luke show you Jesus' words, Mark shows you his works. So as, as we study this gospel, uh, you won't hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you won't read as many parables as maybe Matthew or Luke might tell you. Uh, but this, this gospel will unfold for you kind of like a comic book or a James Bond action film. Uh, Mark's going to use the word um, immediately in this gospel over 40 times over the course of the next 16 chapters. Uh, he's going to say the word immediately 12 times in the first chapter alone. So he is going to take you and I on a whirlwind tour through Jesus's ministry uh, from one event to the next to the next. So let me read our first text this morning, uh, and then we will hit the ground running. This is Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. It says, In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, 
baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water... Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And then the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. <clears throat> so probably what the, is, is the most striking uh, characteristic um, about this, about these opening verses that I just read, uh, is really how the Gospel of Mark doesn't begin. Think about this and about how Mark doesn't start. I mean, notice that there's no manger here. There's no newborn baby to swaddle. Uh, There's no wise men or shepherds. Uh, Mark doesn't waste his time giving you this detailed genealogy of who Jesus is, though those things are certainly important. Uh, Mark just jumps right in and immediately he gets down to business. But, but he does so in a strange way. Uh, he, he begins with a story about a man clothed in camel's hair uh, living in the wilderness who eats locusts and wild honey. And then this man with this rather peculiar diet and dress, uh, he, he baptizes this other man that we know nothing about. If you're not already familiar with Jesus through the other Gospels, Uh, This is a a rather bizarre introduction to him. Uh, This random individual who you don't know ventures into the wilderness and is baptized by this other man wearing uh, camel hair. But but as strange as this introduction may be, uh, what, what you see in these opening 13 verses is Mark announcing God's arrival to God's people. That's what I want you to see this morning from this text. Uh, How how Mark's introduction of John the Baptist and Jesus are announcing God's arrival to God's 
people. Uh, we're we're going to break down these verses into two scenes. Uh, and in the first scene, you're going to see John's announcement uh, of Jesus and how John is preparing God's people for his arrival. Uh, and then in the second scene, you're, you're going to witness Jesus's arrival and, and you get to see what John has been proclaiming to God's people uh, about his arrival or, or rather who he's been proclaiming. So, so we're going to look at, at John's announcement and then Jesus's arrival to see both how uh, John is preparing God's people and, and what or who uh, he is proclaiming to them. So scene number one, uh, I want to look at how John's announcement prepares God's people for his arrival. Uh, Mark writes there, starting back in verse two, that it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Uh, that, that quote um, actually comes from both uh, Isaiah and Malachi, uh, and it lets you know that these events that you are about to witness were foretold long before. Uh, they, they let you know that not only will the Messiah arrive on earth to free his people, but a messenger will appear before that arrival to prepare God's people. Uh, in the ancient world, envoys were often sent out before a king in order to remove any obstacles from their path. I mean, the last thing you want is for the king's caravan to embark on a long journey. I just discovered that the, the road is blocked by fallen trees. Um, so these envoys would, would go out and they would clear the highways of any debris um, and they would send heralds into the cities and the towns to announce the king's coming so that the people could prepare themselves to receive him. And we find in, in the opening of Mark's gospel that John the Baptist is such an envoy. Uh, he is that herald whose duty it is to prepare the people for Jesus. Verse 4 says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. But both aspects of John's ministry, what, what he's doing and where he's doing it, uh, would have been very unusual for Jews in the first century. I mean, first, he's baptizing Jews. Uh, baptism itself is not a, a completely unknown practice in this time, uh, but it generally was reserved for Gentiles wishing to convert to the Jewish faith. Uh, not those who are already Jews themselves. If you were a proselyte uh, preparing to enter into Judaism, uh, part of that process involved a ritual washing. But if you were already a Jew, 
Uh, To get baptized was the equivalent of declaring everything in your life before that baptism uh, to to have been as unclean as a Gentile. Uh, If you were already a Jew, you you didn't get baptized in this day. Uh, Secondly, though, uh, John's not only baptizing Jews, but he's also baptizing them in the wilderness. It's strange that Jesus' forerunner uh, is not proclaiming his arrival in cities such as Jerusalem. I mean, you would think that if the king is coming, uh, you would want as many people to know as possible. Yet John bases his ministry in the wilderness as far from civilization as possible. Uh, But in spite of that, The Lord gives him favor because in verse 5, you read that all the country of Judea and Jerusalem uh, were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The, The wilderness was a place that the Israelites were well acquainted with. It was there that they lived for 40 years because of their disobedience to the Lord. And now you see that the Lord is calling his people once again to that wilderness to meet with John. God is drawing his people back so that they can remember that past disobedience. And, And John is baptizing them there to remind them of their need to be cleansed. And it's also very fitting that he's specifically baptizing them in the Jordan River. This is where the Israelites left the wilderness and crossed over to the promised land to be given a fresh new start. So, so it serves as a reminder to God's people that Jesus's arrival will mean a fresh new start as well. The, though God was ready to come to earth, you see in these opening verses that the people were not yet ready for God. I mean, for generations, the Israelites had been longing the anticipated arrival of the Messiah. Uh, But during that time, they often misconstrued who the Messiah would be. Uh, In their pride, they envisioned him as a military leader coming to help their plight against Rome. And so, like a herald, John the Baptist was needed to call God's people to repentance and and to remind them of their history and who the God of Israel really was. Uh, their, Their hearts needed to be prepared or they would run the risk of not even recognizing that Messiah when he finally arrived. And even though this arrival took place over 2,000 years ago, these verses are still relevant to you and I today. 
When you approach the Lord in prayer or you attempt to read his word, uh, you, you still must prepare yourself for that encounter or you run the risk of not recognizing the God that you are trying to seek. Like, like those who were baptized by John, you must first repent. Without seeking to repent of your sin, uh, you will be far too consumed with yourself to see God. You'll pray to God, but only to, to ask about what he can do for you, not because you long to learn more about him. And, and you must not only repent of who you were, but you also must seek to remind yourself of who God is. The, those seeking John in the wilderness were reenacting the historical journey of their ancestors going to the wilderness to remember uh, the disobedience of their forefathers and going to the Jordan River uh, where their, their ancestors had been offered a new beginning in the promised land. So, so if you really want to prepare your heart for an encounter with the Lord, th then read his word reminding yourself that it's not about you, his word is about him. You're not the central focus of the Bible. It's not intended as a simple self-help book designed to make you have a better day. It's given to you to remind you of the awesome and timeless God who has graciously been at work throughout history orchestrating his plans to redeem his people from sin and ruin. So that's John's announcement in scene one and how he sought to prepare God's people for his arrival. Uh, look now at scene two and see Jesus's arrival itself and you'll see what or who John has been proclaiming to God's people. Uh, John faithfully preached to those in the wilderness, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." And then starting in verse 9, you see for yourself who John has been preaching. You see the very arrival of the one who he has been sent to announce. It says, in those days, John or Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And then verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness 
And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the, anim- and the angels were ministering to him. There, there are a lot of things going on in these verses. Uh, I, I wish we could stay here all afternoon and unpack everything. Uh, but in these verses, the, the herald gets to see the king that he has been heralding. John sees the arrival of the one he has been announcing. And John says that in comparison to Jesus, uh, he's not even a man worthy of untying the strap of his sandal. Untying someone's dirty sandal would have been a task given to the lowest of the lowest slaves. Uh, and John says that, that even he you know, believes that, that he is beneath the lowest of the low when compared to Christ. And yet Jesus comes to John to be baptized. This is another very unusual scene and an unusual introduction to Jesus. John has been baptizing God's people because they needed to repent of their sin. And if if Jesus is God, he has no sin to repent of. So why did he need to be baptized? Well, just as John, uh, just as, as as John baptizing. Uh, God's people, just just as that was meant to uh, prepare God's people for his arrival, uh, so Jesus's own baptism prepares God's people for what he arrived to do. It it prepares them to to see the the kind of God who has come down to, to dwell with his people. Uh, There there are two purposes of of Jesus' baptism uh, I want to highlight. Jesus was baptized to remind you that he is fully God, and he was baptized to remind you that he is fully man as well. So, So first, this baptism scene here reminds you that Jesus is fully God. And, and it prepares you for that the kind of God who has come down to live and dwell among his people. Uh, the, these verses here give one of the clearest examples of the Trinity at work in Scripture. Uh, Jesus asks to be baptized by John, uh, and as he comes out of the water, you, you hear God the Father proclaim, you are my beloved son, with, with you I am well pleased. And God the Spirit is present as well, coming down to rest on Jesus like a dove. This triune God that is one God in three persons, uh, he, he was at work, back in the dawn of creation, and now you see him at work again, redeeming this very same creation that had gone astray. 
If you read the creation account back in Genesis chapter 1, you read of God creating everything in the heavens and the earth. And then if you read John chapter 1, you find out that Jesus, God the Son, is the means by which he created everything. Jesus was the Word, and in the beginning, that Word was with God the Father. And also in Genesis, you have God the Spirit, who was also present in creation as well, hovering over the waters, breathing life into that creation that was formed by the Son on the authority of the Father. And seeing that uh, triune trinity of a God at work back in Genesis, that, that is what you see all over again here at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. God the Son was the means by which the earth, everything in the universe was created, uh, and his perfectly obedient life will be the means by which it will be restored. And the Spirit is again hovering over the waters as a dove, ready to begin breathing spiritual life into this new creation. And God the Father is speaking down from above, orchestrating it all according to his will. Jesus' baptism is preparing you for, for the kind of God that has come to dwell among his people. A, a triune God who exists in three persons, uh, each with a role to play, redeeming and restoring this creation that had been corrupted and cursed because of sin. But, but secondly, though, this, this act of baptism reminds you that Jesus is fully human. He, he's fully God, but he's, he's also fully man as well. And, and Jesus' baptism, uh, he, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't just because uh, he needed to cleanse himself from a mess of sin. Uh, he, he was baptized in order to be a model for you and I. Uh, Jesus' life, because he was fully human, uh, it, it's going to run the full gamut of human experience. Uh, he was born, uh, he went to school, he served as a carpenter, uh, and now he is getting baptized as an example for you and I. Uh, Jesus was fully human in every way, and, and because of that, he was fully relatable to you and I. Uh, he, he cried like us. He laughed like us. He, he got angry on occasion. Uh, he, he was even tempted to sin like you and I. Verse 12 notes that immediately after his baptism, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness where he was going to be tempted by Satan. The only difference between Jesus's human nature and yours is that he was able to resist that temptation where you and I succumbed to it. Uh, verse 13 
our, our last verse of this text, it, it's very interesting uh, that Mark provides you with, with a detail here um, that, that's not recorded in either the Gospel of Matthew or Luke. Uh, both the other writers re- recount Jesus' temptation uh, in the wilderness after his baptism, uh, but only Mark mentions that he was with the wild animals while in the wilderness. Mark includes these details uh, to remind his audience of how creation once was and how Christ came as a new and a better Adam to make it that way once again. Uh, Adam did not reside in the wilderness, but rather a garden. And he had dominion over all of the animals. But but because of his sin, the, the world became cursed and all of the gardens of the world turned into unruly jungles with thorns and thistles. And those tame, domesticated animals became wild. And now that Jesus has come into the world. Uh, He he has come not just as a man, but as a new and better man than Adam ever was. And and as he he begins his ministry, uh, he he goes into the wilderness with these wild animals. Uh, And there he is tempted by Satan, but he overcomes that temptation. and, And in doing so... He is beginning that process of reversing the curse that had come upon Adam and all of creation when the world became corrupted by sin. Jesus is fully God, but he also became fully man in order that he might save man. This, this morning, we, we've looked at the introduction of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you've been introduced to John the Baptist uh, and Jesus, and, and you've seen how it is announcing God's arrival to his people. Uh, and through these opening two scenes, you've seen how John prepared God's people for uh, his arrival and, and what or, or who Uh, He is proclaiming to them. Uh, It's my hope that that you guys are as excited uh, as I am to take a deep dive into the gospel of Mark uh, over the the coming months. Uh, As I said in the beginning, again, it is a book of, of whirlwind action, showing you the uh, works of Jesus going from one event to the next to the next. Uh, but, but it's also a book that offers uh, invaluable uh, insight into the message and the mission of Jesus. So uh, let me pray.